Connection through conversation. Join self-described conversationalist Stacy Heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas that are sometimes informational, sometimes inspirational, and always entertaining on Stacy Connects. Hello, everyone out there. Welcome to Stacy Connects. I'm Stacy. This show is about making connections through conversation. More and more, I become so convinced that this is the way that we can make the uh, the world, the global world, more local for us. I find that asking questions instead of making assumptions is becoming more and more important. And uh, on this show, I like to do it in an edutaining way, a little education and a little entertainment, uh, sort of like uh, Sesame Street for grownups. And, uh, you know, that's how I learned a lot. Uh, thank you, of course, to my live listeners uh, like Mom and Lee and Diane and all of the other tens of listeners that I have that listen live. I so appreciate it. And to the people that listen to the podcast, I also appreciate that. Reminder that if you enjoy these conversations, consider sharing the show with people that you like or people you don't like and you want to make a point. Uh, You can also share the podcast, leave a comment, you can rate it. It actually helps me connect with more people because the more people that are listening to the show, the wider the audience, the wider the audience, the more likely people are going to want to talk to me. Um, Speaking of which, if you have an idea for an awesome guest, I would love to hear from you. You can text or call 475-999-2726. And you can also call into the show live. The number to do that is 425-373-5527. I'll repeat it a little later in the show, uh, but I have to get into my brain dump. Uh, I am... Starting to finally come out of COVID brain, it is a real thing. If you add to my ADHD another level of ADHD, it is like the ninth circle of hell because I just cannot seem to get a grip on anything. And it has been a couple of weeks since I finally tested negative and yet the exhaustion and the the fuzziness of mind is has really still been there. Uh I finally have felt in the past I want to say 48 hours like I'm starting to be me again. So that's exciting. Um now here's the things that have been happening. One, apparently I have become a wedding planner. So friend of ours, uh, Deanna and Jason, they are getting married in August. And they, I I feel like a a de facto parent to them, although that's not surprising. I am a de facto parent to a whole plethora of uh, children, some of whom are like only a few years younger than me. And uh, they have decided to get married in the backyard of the place that they're renting. And they have asked me to help with the food piece and just generally be a touchstone of like, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And here's what I am learning. It is nothing like my own wedding, which was full of shoulds and have tos 
and, you know, what was done and how you do it. And my wedding was great. I married Pete. We've celebrated 30 years. No regrets. And yet it is so cool watching this young couple who, Deanna especially, thought that she wanted the big wedding and the big poofy dress and the 300 guests and the whole thing. And in a very short period of time, she and Jason have really decided to eschew all of that so that they can get married in their backyard and create the space themselves with a small group of about, well, she says 65, but it feels like it's growing, uh, but a fairly small group of people to celebrate their love story and all of the unconventional choices that she's making. Like she wants to do a a picnic, kind of a backyard picnic food vibe so that people can dance and be holding a fried chicken slider on a biscuit with honey. Uh, I mean, who doesn't want to dance while eating fried chicken and biscuits, really, right? Um, and she doesn't want to carry a traditional bouquet. Instead, she saw somewhere that you can do a brooch bouquet. So people can, um, they've asked that for her bridal shower, people go to Value Village or to their costume jewelry collection or to wherever and find a brooch and they will fashion it into a bouquet that she can then keep forever. That's kind of cool. So I'm just loving this now. Granted, she's not my blood daughter, so I'm hopeful that I will have this openness to creativity and, uh, you know, things that are different when it comes to one of my own four kids potentially getting married. Uh, But it has been a good way to break me into this non-conventional way. Whatever fits your love story is what makes sense. You do you. So it's been really fun. Um, And then uh, Father's Day. So a funny thing about Father's Day, I feel like for Mother's Day, mothers are sort of like, bring me breakfast in bed and then take the children and leave. It just seems like a universal thing that moms want a break. And then with dads, it's like, uh, here's the kids. Spend time with them from the moms. Uh, And, you know, either way, on either of these two days, it's like the kids get to hang out with dad, which suits mom. And as the kids get older, we're noticing a trend. So three of our four kids are out of the house. Uh. Charlie is home for the summer from school and it's Father's Day and nobody texted Pete in the morning first thing. Well, not surprising. They sleep late. However, Grace is on the East Coast. She could have texted him. I'm just saying. And uh, it's so interesting because when the kids are little at school, they typically have some kind of a craft or they acknowledge it or they're being, you know, reminded and parents make a big deal out of it. Uh, You know, it's going to be Father's Day. We're going to do this and that. And then as they get older, my friends and I have a text thread and we wonder out loud about life's mysteries, including how much more effort are you supposed to put in than your kids for Father's Day, Mother's Day, these kinds of holidays? I mean, I, I guess at a certain point, once they're out of the house, isn't it up to them to figure it out? Yeah. 
right? <laughs> it's it's got to be. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I gave Pete a card that was like an attaboy, you're a great dad card, because I absolutely want to acknowledge that he is a great dad to our four children and, you know, attaboy. However, I don't really feel like I need to be doing all the heavy lifting in terms of orchestrating some grand affair for him. Sure. Right? Well, I mean, it's all about what is the expectation there. Yes. And the expectation is that mom is going to remind them and execute. <laughs> well, if they're relying on that, though, if, you, if, you know, if that's their system and you're going to say, I'm not going to do that system anymore, I feel like you yeah, a little heads up. Well, so there, good. exactly. So therein lies the rub. You know, I always thought that I was doing a good job not over commandeering things. Mm-hmm. And I was wrong. Apparently, I was way commandeering things, just with different language, maybe, than the average mother. And so it turns out I absolutely have been micromomaging for years. <laughs> and so now left to their own devices, they're either going to rise or fall. And I can't worry about it. I just have to let it where let the chips fall where they may and know that. It doesn't mean anything one way or the other. It just means they're idiots. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> and I raised them. <laughs> but you can remember when you were their age as well and how, you know, some you have so much going on in your life, real or imagined, that, you know, stuff can slip through the cracks and you're not necessarily plugged into every single, you I know, mean, thing. Yes, except that when I was their age, I was... So at 21, I was engaged to be married. At 20, so that's where Grace is. At 22, I was already married, which is where Will is. And at 25, I had given birth to my first kid. So I'm not the average 20-something. Yeah, you just skipped the roaring 20s. I, I don't. <laughs> there was nothing roaring about my 20s. There you go. It yeah. was like it was like the after the depression part of the 20s, where there was a lot of crying. <laughs> <laughs> um. So anyway, so Father's Day, it's a very interesting thing now that my friends and I are embarking on this like empty nest or near empty nest phenomenon and to realize where the holes in our parenting have been. Hmm. And, uh, you know, is it too late? Like this feels like a whole nother topic for another time. Uh, But it is something that is top of mind for me and uh, my mom friends. So, um, okay. I'm going to switch. I'm trying to keep it tight today because I'm really excited about my guest today. Uh, My stasiism. So it's kind of funny. Uh, I have this this quote, ironically, and you'll learn why, from Woody Guthrie. And I talk about my stasiism every week. And I say that I'm essentially taking uh, ideas or, you know, philosophies or experiences or whatever from other people and totally white labeling it. And paraphrasing and calling it my own, right? It's my stasiism. And Woody Guthrie, there's a quote that's attributed to him, and he said, if you want to learn something, just steal it. So there you go. That's <laughs> what I'm essentially doing. I am following the very sound advice of Woody Guthrie. Right. Um, now, my actual stasiism, though, for today is uh, also from Woody Guthrie. Uh, Any fool can make something complicated. It takes a genius to make it simple. That's a good point. Now, here's what's interesting. I make 
everything so complicated. I find in my trying to express myself uh, when I my ego gets in the way. And so I feel like if you can uh, if you can get your ego out of the way, then you can keep it simple. It gets complicated when that ego gets in the way. It's the kiss rule. What's the kiss rule? Keep it simple. Oh, yeah, yeah. Smarty. Right. I always put the nice, nice. version of it. Of course you do. Uh, well, yes, and that's exactly that's exactly what this is, is about. And I find when I'm trying to, while people say that I'm articulate, and I guess I am, I also can so overcomplicate things when I'm trying to convey it. And I just, I'm, I loved this quote, which I will totally be adding to my Stacyism book that'll be out sometime in the future at a retailer near you, um, because uh, it can be taken in so many different ways. And in this case, I really feel like for me, anyway, it comes down to ego and uh, self-doubt. So there you go. Okay. So my guest today uh, is Buddy Hulker, and I was introduced to uh, Bucky from Dan Perdue, who may be listening. Hey, Dan. And I am very excited to talk to Bucky. He is a musician, a storyteller. Uh, he's an activist. He is so many things. And uh, I'm really excited to have a conversation with you and a little intimidated, Bucky. I'm not going to lie. Uh, don't be. Keep it simple. Uh, see? <laughs> Thank there you. you Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, wow, I appreciate that. That actually calmed me right down. Yeah, so um, let's take a quick break here. And so that when we come back, we can spend time and I can introduce people to who you are and what you do. Keep listening okay. to Stacy Connects. We'll be right back. Looking to reconnect with your partner, spouse, kids, or self? When the disconnect seemingly has been there for a lifetime and is impacting your relationships, it's difficult to determine how and where to start. But at the root with Greg Kuyper of Kuyper Counseling is the perfect first step. Throughout each episode, Greg talks about establishing emotional connection with ourselves and others. He offers experience, advice, explanation, and resources to listeners. You can find past episodes on his website, KuiperCounseling.com, or through his YouTube channel, Connection Through Awareness with Greg Kuiper. Stacy Connects, it's not just my business, it's my superpower. Whether you need the right tone and messaging for a new venture, or you've plateaued with your current one, I can help. I connect clients with themselves and their potential. Then I identify unique solutions that translate your brand into messaging that connects your target audience with your business. Go to stacyconnects.com to connect with me and your messaging. Alternative Talk 1150, local talk for the body, mind, and soul. Welcome back to Stacy Connects. I'm Stacy. I want to remind you that if you want to call into the show, you can call 425-373-5527. And my guest today is Bucky Halker. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. 
Now, I'm going to guess that your first, your given first name is not Bucky. That is correct. Do you want the story? I kind of, <laughs> yeah. What is your, what is your given name? Okay. My real name is Clark without an E, C-L-A-R-K. And I never could get an explanation from my parents about why they gave me that name. Um, but what I do know is basically at birth, um, my parents had both gone to the University of Wisconsin um, and the state mascot. The mascot of the Wisconsin sports teams is Bucky the Badger, right? Uh, and, was, and so a couple of their friends suggested at my birth that they give me the nickname Bucky after Bucky the Badger and that stuck. Um, and no one, uh, including all my teachers in grade school, ever called me Clark unless they were angry or my mother was angry. It was always Bucky and that's Oh, that's, that's so, funny. Yes. Okay. Now, yes. and question about that. Yeah. And maybe Eric will know the answer to this because he's my, my trivia guy. So in the movie, the family vacation movies, it's Clark Griswold. Mm-hmm. Doesn't she call, doesn't his wife call him Bucky? Uh, Sparky. Oh, Sparky. She calls him Sparky. Sparky, Sparky yeah. that's what it is. I was <laughs> like, is it Bucky? Um, okay, yeah. Sparky. I was wondering. I was wondering if maybe Bucky is some also a weird derivative of uh, Clark the same way that, you know, um, Edward is of, you know, whatever. Okay. I think Clark is a different kind of derivative. And Bucky, of course, comes from an old Anglo-Saxon word for a deer or something. You know, the male deer. It's a fairly old word. So somehow I got stuck with that, you know. Well, I mean, it's a unique moniker. It does Yes, it does work. There aren't too many musicians other than maybe Buck Owens, and he doesn't have the Y. There's there's not very many of us. There you so, go. Yeah. So as I mentioned, you are a, a singer, a songwriter, you're a music historian, uh, an activist, and the genre that you uh, sort of are in most would be folk music, Um would be, you know, uh, Americana, right? Uh, labor songs, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think a general category would be Americana, but uh, folk music, folk rock. I, you know, did a lot of roots rock at one time too and related to Americana. So, yeah, I think uh, Americana is a good general uh, title to use for what it is I do. So what drew you to that? I mean, that's a, I feel like that's an exposure thing. Like as a kid, I'm, of course I ask you a question and now I'm going to talk. As a kid, for instance, my parents listened to Peter, Paul and Mary. And that was my parents' musical taste. And so I was introduced to the idea of folk music. Uh, So it feels like a genre that you would be introduced to versus seek out or find right no you're absolutely right um growing up um, my mother was a, a a very good flute player um and played very briefly with the milwaukee symphony so on her side she would expose us to some classical music we had a record player and played vinyl and we'd listen to symphonic music now and then but she also liked big band music uh, from her younger years. And so we listened to things like Glenn Miller, my dad, to be honest, that's a long story, but he basically did.
did not even like music and he derided musicians continually. No surprise that put me at odds with him early on in my life. Naturally. Um, right. But my very first memory of television is seeing Elvis Presley. And my mother tells, told me for years that after Elvis was on the Ed Sullivan show the first time, I can't even remember when that was, uh, 55 or something like that, maybe 56. But uh, I would walked around for days just yelling out the words, I ain't nothing but a hound dog. Um, so it was rock and roll that first captured my attention. And then when I was 13, the British invasion had come along and all that. The rock and roll bands were really ticking off. And I, uh, again, this is the story. Um, I wanted to get an electric guitar. My father would not buy one for me or he said the only way you'll ever get an electric guitar is if you buy it yourself so being the creative person I tried to be um, doing little odd jobs I, I I was able to get a little bit of money I went to the music store owner who was very sympathetic and he let me buy an electric guitar and an amplifier on time I couldn't pick it up till it was paid for wow but I paid for it and uh, immediately started playing in this little you know rock and roll band that I put together um, but then it was just a couple of years after that um, I did listen to Peter, Paul and Mary, for example, and started listening to all kinds of stuff. But mm -hmm. there were a couple of musicians in the town uh, that were there at this small college, very small private liberal arts college that were really into Woody Guthrie and folk music. And one of them gave me some guitar lessons and both of them. I remained friends with for years and years. They really introduced me to the whole sort of genre of folk music, especially politically oriented folk music. And then it was kind of the merging of those two, which is probably why I fit as much into the Americana category as just playing folk musician. So, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, first of all, the, the dad story makes me chuckle because I think my brother wanted an acoustic guitar. And I think my parents were like, no, he did end yeah. up getting one. And I think it promptly sat there unplayed yeah. uh you know forever and um you know it's an interesting thing with kids and their changing interests like you know sure. how much do they really want it now in your case it makes a little bit more sense because your mom played the flute in my family yeah. none of us are musically inclined and so oh. there isn't that uh the natural connection um sure. so with your uh, this interest that you have, and especially you mentioned with the Americana, there is so much about the the statement um, piece. You know, if I wrote a paper in high school. Uh, it was supposed to be a history paper. However, I wasn't really into that. And the topic that I did was about the the writers that came after both the first and second world wars. And, you know, what they were writing about at the time and, you know, talked about like the beatnik generation and talked about uh, just that opening up and um, articulating through the arts uh, how they felt about things. And yeah. that is definitely something that seems to be hand in glove with folk music and Americana music. Right. Right. I, I found very quickly, I mean, almost immediately I started writing songs. I found that I could express myself through music in a way that other sort of avenues for expression didn't quite work as well. Unfortunately, I had a couple of teachers who encouraged me. 
um, to write poems, which I then turned into songs in many cases. I was just really lucky to have a couple teachers that way. But, and you know, it also, I mean, I didn't mention this, but this was just at the time when a lot of political change was occurring in the late 60s. And I got interested in, I had a power trio in high school called Freedom. And sometimes we, uh, some of the songs I wrote were actually political. I started to see not just through folk music, but even in rock music, that you could make political statements as an artist and uh, try to use that as a means of expressing, but also reaching people if necessary, you know? Sure. I mean, sure. there's, in in music, there's such a long line of that. I mean, you know, I think yeah. about, you know, the Beatles and the things that they were saying, and I, I you know, and uh, Bono, right? I mean, you yeah. know, um, when you have that kind of a platform and you have seen a lot it seems like you must share yeah i agree with you and i think there's something it may be distinct to to music i mean i was how could i put it moderately religious as a young person Mm -hmm. um kind of fit in with a a larger vision of making the world better even when i was younger and i remember being in church on many occasions and singing with an audience and how that felt to me as a kid to Mm -hmm. be there with like a hundred people all singing something, you know? Um, And I, I always thought, well, sometimes when you're at music events, even now I still can feel this, there's a kind of spiritual unity you can get going. I mean, it may sound a little corny to say that, that binds people, even if only for a moment for one song out of the night or part of the concert and I think that's important to do. I really do think. You were saying we find so many reasons not to ask questions, not to communicate. But here is an example of where you can, for a moment, feel a kind of unity with each other, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it sounds corny at all. There is that connection that occurs when you're in a community and you there's an energy that happens that is that is really, I feel like, you know, some could call it otherworldly or it's a spiritual moment. And it is really a coming together that uh, I think really impacts people. It's why music is such a powerful source. Um, Now, you mentioned that you had been introduced to Woody Guthrie, which I think if people don't know Woody Guthrie, at the very least, you know, this land is my land. Yeah. So, you know, um, as a base level uh, of information about Woody Guthrie, uh, that said, Woody Guthrie, I mean, has covered all kinds of things and uh, wrote a lot of music that uh, was really about, um, I shared a Stasiism a few weeks ago that was about uh the more specific you are, the more universal you are. And so it's like the topics that he was writing about were very specific and yet global. Yeah, no, that's very true. And uh, I'm going through some songs right now that he wrote while well, he, he got drafted, like literally after the war and in, in, in Europe ended, like the day after victory in Europe, VE Day, he... Um, got drafted and but while he was in there he wrote a lot of songs they're very i hate to say it very jingoistic and militaristic but he jumped on the the pro-war wagon and they're very specific 
subjects. Um, and, and it's true of other ones. I mean, I, I don't want to um, emphasize that to a significant degree. It's only because I'm working on it right now. But, you know, he also went to work for the Bonneville Power Administration and wrote all these songs about going along uh, the Columbia River um, and what what those places and uh, that experience meant to the country and to him. And there's tons of those. I mean, we don't even know. They used to think he wrote like maybe a few hundred songs. But honestly, I can say from my own experience and many other people would agree, if you go into the archives, the guy was obsessive to the 10th degree, the infinite degree. Um, there were days, I mean, he wrote to his wife while it was in the army. He wrote four songs in one day. He sent her the lyrics for all four songs. Wow. So there's several thousand as much as we, at least at this point that we know, but most of them have never been published and most have not been recorded. We don't even know what the music is supposed to be for a lot of those. So. Right. That's an interesting thing because, yeah. you know, I, as somebody who is not musically inclined, uh, you know, it's one lyrics are one thing, but then there's the the music that would accompany it and what that would sound like. And that can yeah. really shape the meaning of a song a lot. Oh, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, Nora Woody's daughter uh, took some of the songs from the archives and with the Billy Bragg and Wilco, they they had to interpret those songs that they ended up putting on Mermaid Avenue, which got a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, when it came out in the 90s. And uh, yes, I think the way people choose to interpret them musically can have a bearing on the way the lyrics even speak to us. And that's just the way it is. Well, it's funny. I don't typically do a ton of prep before a show, although today I did go to a website that is run by Nora. And uh, what was interesting is on the website somewhere, there was, um, and I saw it, Quickly, it caught my eye. There was an advertisement about a new album, I guess, that is coming out. Uh, and I don't know how updated this website is uh, from the Dropkick Murphys, an Irish band yeah. and singing, I'm guessing, covers of Woody Guthrie music. And it's so funny because I was like, I know Dropkick Murphys and this Irish band. And like that so makes sense to me that this kind of music is music sort of about the the common person, the common experience, uh, you know, the unsung heroes of who built this country. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think the Dropkick Murphys are a good, good choice. Uh, they did write that one song, Shipping Out to Boston. That was a, a Woody song that got a lot of airplay and helped uh, elevate their sort of stature in the Americana music Thing. But I know Nora is a big fan of Dropkick Murphys, and I'm I'm glad that she's trying to do that. There's several projects they've been working on. There was an exhibit they did back in 2012 that's out circulating again, using archival materials to do this exhibit on Woody Guthrie. Um, they they've got uh, one of Woody's musical. Well, it wasn't his production, but some other people have put together a kind of a musical program uh, that also involves sort of drama as well they've got that out on the road so there's always things that are going on and Nora published a new book I believe it was last year of Woody Guthrie stuff that includes a lot of reprints of original documents which is nice because a lot of us don't get to see the original documents that Woody wrote or typed so that's amazing yeah 
Now, with this type of music, with all that has happened in, let's say, the past, I'll call it five years. Okay. <laughs> that seems like a good blanket. Sure. Uh, yeah. Do you do you see a surge in interest and musicians that are maybe even they're not aware of the fact that they're writing this type of music that would fall into this? Uh, has there been a surge in interest or musicians exploring this type of music? Uh, I think I think there is. In fact, there has been one. Um, I I know. Um, of course, this would be four years ago now, but I was part of, a, there's a big festival in Germany that they've done for many, many years that has a political orientation to it and a world music kind of uh, focus. Um, and there's bands from all over the world that play there. And uh, in 2018, when we did that, there was a lot of political stuff that came from, oh, it came from Italy. I did a, a concert and we did some songs together with a a band from Italy, uh, Bella Ciao, that was just wonderful. These women are just great singers, but that's just one part of it. There were a lot of other singers. There was a, um, a, a Swedish band, a musician I met that uh, was doing political stuff. There were German musicians. So I think this is something, it never entirely goes away. It just goes in waves. The hard part now is of course, uh, getting the material you write out to people, it becomes a little bit, well, you know how it is. It's just like trying to get people to listen to a radio show. You have to do all this social media promo that often takes up more of your time than working on the actual uh, artistic yes. project. Exactly. And with the decline of record sales and downloads and, and vinyls up a little bit, but nothing compared to what sales used to be. I think it's very hard for younger bands to make a living. So I have this kind of uh, respect for them even more that they're still out there slugging away a lot of younger musicians all over the world trying to do, you know, music, but political music specifically, and to try to make the world a better place through music. I I so agree with you. And, you know, people talk about the whole influencer thing. And, you know, yes, there's a bigger platform that you can organically get the word out. And yet that being the case, it's still so many people that it's it's just so much content. And so to stand out from others, I just think you're right. I give them uh, a lot of I give them a lot of credit. It's hard. Yeah. Now. Um, so the songs of and I'm, I'm I know that you write your own music. Um, I also know, however, that you're really involved with Woody Guthrie and and uh no, are associated with, um, is it the foundation? Yeah, I was, my wife and I were both on the Woody Guthrie Foundation board for a number of years. That was finally dissolved, uh, you know, a handful of years back. Um, but there's still, you know, the Guthrie archives are in uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They're, they're there now and they've moved everything from New York to their Dylan's archives are now going to be at the same uh, site, which Ooh. I think is great. Yeah, Dylan wanted to be included with Woody Guthrie. So he's in Tulsa at this Guthrie Dylan Center there downtown in the old art district. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, there's a lot of that that's is 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 going on. And I, I think it's good to see some of that preserved at, at this point, you know. Uh, and the the lyrics to uh his songs, and uh do you find that any of them are dated 
or is it all still so relevant? Well, you know, some of them, because he was so topical and you wrote about specific topics, sometimes they seem a little dated. Um, but also, I have to say, I'm amazed. Um, I mean, I've been going through this stuff. I'm working on an article on Woody Guthrie in Illinois because he performed in Chicago on a number of occasions over about a 10-year period um, before he went into the hospital. But he also was stationed in the military in southern Illinois and wrote a lot of songs. And I go through them, and I'm, I'm, still, I'm still amazed at how relevant they are and how relevant his his comments are you know even his letters he was a uh yeah i would say obsessive letter writer when he was in the military some of his letters to his wife he wrote them almost daily to his his future wife that would be marjorie not his first wife mary but some of them are 30 pages long and wow he would talk about things in there you know that uh, he that are still so relevant issues connected with race uh connected with you know, anti-Semitism, uh, all kinds of prejudices where he uh, talked about that and how we should try to, you know, be humane in this world. So I think it's, you know, a lot of them still strike me as being right there and very, very timely at this point. It's so interesting because I feel like folk music and Americana music, because it is, and I know you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm, making assumptions here, uh, because it's so often music that is associated, again, with kind of the people, if you will, I'm doing air quotes. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of times um, people that were uh, working, you know, picking up jobs, trying to just sing, do their thing, uh, noticing things, traveling a lot around the country, seeing the people, again, that were uh, factory workers or that were, you know, the people that were creating the roads and highways and, you know, all these kinds of things. And so it's it's a very interesting, uh, it's an interesting thing to see uh, that kind of music and what it was about. And it's a, a slice of time and yet they were so connected to what was going on and so insightful about that. And it's still relevant today Yeah, because they were so connected with it. It feels like, and you know, you mentioned like the anti-Semitism and, you know, race and, um, you know, economic disparity and all these kinds of things because, you know, you're right there. Yeah. No, it's definitely the case uh, with Woody Guthrie. I mean, he grew up in, there were all kinds of problems in the family. His mother ended up uh, in the state mental institution, although it's clear now she had Huntington's disease and wasn't insane, but she did some crazy things. His father lost all his money. By the time Woody's 12 years old, he's basically a street urchin uh, living in a shack with his younger, younger brother on the edge of town. Um, and his dad is down in Texas for a while, comes back. But I think it gave that experience and then wandering around as he got into his 20s and 30s, wandering at a time when there was the Dust Bowl and the Depression, he saw so many people who were down and out and not being taken care of by the government on the local, state, or federal level that he developed an empathy for people of all kinds. And that's stuck with him. And I think, you know, he really injected that spirit into folk music in a way that other people had done sporadically, but he really uh, gave it a kind of vibrancy and spirit that 
continues to animate people and, and songwriting uh, when they try to do political music. That's my perspective anyway. Yeah. So. Okay. Let's take a break here because I want to shift and I want to talk about you and your music. Woody okay. Guthrie's awesome, but you're awesome too. So All let's right. take a break. And then when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Bucky Hulker. Stacey Heller is many things, entertaining yet enlightening. She's a talk show host channeling her inner Fallon. Like Winston Wolf, she's a fixer who gets things done with style. Practical, like Dr. Ruth. Stacy isn't afraid of the uncomfortable when searching for answers. She's your biggest fan and sees your potential before you do. Most of all, Stacy Heller is a synapse who can connect impulses and ideas about your business and yourself into possibility. To connect with Stacy, go to StacyConnects.com. Stacy Connects, it's her superpower. Too many relationships are adversely affected by wounds from our past. Lack of connection, unhappiness, shame, and regret are just some of the fallouts we experience when we choose to avoid addressing those wounds. Greg Kuyper of Kuyper Counseling is a psychotherapist committed to reestablishing connection with self to create greater connection with others. His work with teens, individuals, couples, and those struggling with substance use. If you struggle with old wounds or unhealthy narratives, get to the root of them in yourself by contacting Greg Kuyper at KuyperCounseling.com. That's KuyperCounseling.com. Alternative Talk, 1150 on AM, 98.9 HD3 on HD, 1150kknw.com on the web. Welcome back to Stacy Connects. As I have mentioned and as you've been listening, my guest today is Bucky Hulker, who is, he's a singer, he's a songwriter, he is an activist, uh, a historian, a music historian of sorts. We've been talking about Woody Guthrie. However, I also want to talk about you and your music and your songwriting. And you touched on it a little bit earlier in our conversation. Uh, And obviously you were influenced by Woody Guthrie. Um, And you talked about the educators you have when you would write poems and, and then they could be turned into music. You know, how do you find, especially with you've indicated your dad was not a huge lover of music. How do you find the strength of conviction to make that choice and to really lead your whole life going towards it? Yeah. Oh, I think that's a good question. Um, I think for me, there was a, a something happened besides just, you know, playing a million gigs when I was a teenager. And then in college, uh, when I went to school in Idaho, I would play a lot of coffee houses around the Pacific Northwest. Um, I think besides that, what happened to me was I got interested in history, particularly not, I didn't want to do history as I discovered from the top down, which is writing history with all the rich and famous people. I began to see, and I was part of a movement to write history from the bottom up, 
which was to examine the lives of working people around the United States and see what that meant as opposed to Rockefeller or Trump or Carnegie or whoever it might be. And then, you know, I got interested in that enough that I started looking through old newspapers and I found all these working class songs and poems, thousands of them that had been written and nobody looked at them. Wow. And it ran parallel to my idea that I was trying to renew music to sort of think about the world. But here I could take these songs out too and talk about them or write about them and show that people who didn't have a lot of money also did some fantastic things with their lives. They may have been broke. They came over as immigrants, but they might have written four or five really interesting songs uh, connected with their job or union efforts or whatever. And so it inspired me to try to not just do history from the bottom up, but to take that stuff out to other people to do. And we've talked about this briefly before, public programs to public audiences, not academic audiences, so that the general public might hear not just get their top-down version of history that we all get in grade school of famous white men um, and a handful of other people thrown in for good measure, but this was a way to actually take history into the streets. And music was a way that I could do that by playing the music uh, as well. So that's how I got into that part of it. That's amazing. I, I really appreciate that idea of sharing something when you find it. There's a children's book. It's called What Do You Do With an Idea?, And I've given it to people as a gift. It's a great thing if you're going to embark on a new uh, adventure of any kind or maybe you're hesitating because it's this whole idea of, you know, you have an idea or I'm going to I'm going to use a talent, right, a gift. And what do you do with it? And throughout the story, it's, you know, you're a little embarrassed about it or you show it to a couple people and they don't respond the way you want. And, you know. The story evolves and it gets to a point where you can no longer contain it. You must do what is meant to do with an idea or a gift or a talent, and that is share it. And, you know, it it has to be shared. And so, you know, uh, dad be darned, you were going to go out and you were going to share this. And, you know, this music uh, from all of these people, you were going to share it for the people that couldn't share it themselves. Exactly. Yeah. It was really meant to be kind of public education, public humanities that you wouldn't be getting in your school. So you'd be, I mean, I do this all the time. I've done hundreds of do libraries and museum, historical societies, small cultural organizations. Um, I've traveled through every county and legislative district in Illinois, and I've been lots of places in Europe. I've done this as well. And did these programs for public audiences. And I think they really appreciate it because a lot of those people don't, they didn't get that in school and they don't get it where they're living unless something like this happens. Sure. I mean, I always, I remember this as a kid, there were a couple of people who came to my hometown who did little presentations. Um, I think I mentioned this maybe to you once before, a guy from the Black Panther Party. I didn't even know what that heck the Black Panther Party was at that point. So then right. I go there and I, but it like made me think about lots of things connected with issues of race, you know, and difference and how that played out in our culture and society. And so I, I felt like, well, that's an interesting way to do things, not just get it in the classroom in school or in college, you know, but to take it out in the streets. Right. Now, you being that uh, liaison between these lost stories, lost songs, <laughs> lost music and the public, how has that impacted then 
your music? I mean, besides having an influence, I'm sure, uh, in a good way, do you do you feel like that's a weight that then impacts your ability to create your own music? Yeah, to some degree, I think that's true. Um, there is a kind of weight with that music. Um, I, I, um, I will say that most of that music, because the people who wrote it didn't have a lot of music training, including Woody Guthrie, had to borrow tunes from elsewhere. So it, it stays, and Guthrie's very much part of that long tradition going back to Europe in the 16th and 17th century of taking old tunes and reusing them and reusing them and reusing them. For me, I didn't want to do that. Um, so, and also I was influenced by other things that sometimes this works against me because I liked rock and roll and I, I liked, you know, Hendrix or something when I was mm-hmm. a kid and wasn't afraid to play that kind of music. So uh, when I write songs, I try to, I mean, if a song comes to me and it sounds like it's going to be a jazz tune, well, then so be it. If it sounds like a blues tune, well, all right, then this one will be a blues tune. The next one will be a simple, straightforward one, three chord song or something like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of whatever, uh, whatever it's meant to be. I It yes. seems like um, I don't understand the process because I haven't ever done it, but it's like the song kind of dictates what direction you're going to go with it. Often that is the case. Absolutely. Yeah. Which is exciting. It's very exciting. Yes, very much so. My biggest problem of late, and this wouldn't surprise you, is I've given the situation, particularly the last couple of years, I sometimes feel like I'm in that phase John Lennon was in when he tried to do primal therapy, where he (laughs) literally would put himself in a padded room and just scream through the microphone. Uh There are days, I swear to God, I wish I could just scream over a chord kind of pattern in the background, you know? Uh, It's funny you say that. I was having a conversation with my husband last night, and I said, I feel like I need a kind of like a, a a shift of some kind. Like I need um, some kind of a, a slap that's like, you know, pull yourself together or, you know, a something to recalibrate or I don't know what the right word is, uh, but similar to what you're talking about. It's like you need to let all of this stuff go so that you can now open up space for new experiences, new things to say uh, and so on. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. In fact, because I wasn't feeling that that uh, art, kind of artistic uh, inspiration that I had had for all of my life, uh, it hadn't happened as much the last couple of years, I did more writing than I have for a long time, sort of academic-related stuff. Um, and, you know, that was good because it's a different kind of creativity, and it helped me fill the void there of uh, uh, my need to create something, even if it wasn't directly related directly musical. Sure. Sure. And, and I imagine that, uh, you know, I know I was talking about COVID brain at the top of the show and I have known that I still have it because, or that I still had it because of my, what felt like stunted creativity. I am somebody who I'm like an intuitive spark. You know, somebody gives me an idea and I just sort of go and all of these little sparks happen. And, I was finding that I just I was not clicking in that same way and sparking. And yeah. you sort of get like 
did I lose it? Have I lost it? I mean, I, I, every day, part of my, my, uh, mantra is one of gratitude for my gifts but i'm like did i squander it is it gone uh so i can only imagine uh for you what that would be like yeah no we're in the same boat um but uh, you know i take heart i was i'm working on this article i mentioned on woody guthrie and he's here in the fall of 1945 as the war yeah machine is grinding down and he reaches some point where he's so sad about everything that he stopped writing for a while, which is so unlike him. From This is the same guy who a month earlier wrote like 20 songs in a month, now writes none for quite a long time. Um, I feel a little bit like that, but I guess I'm still confident, as you should be as well, and, and Eric too, of course, um, that, <laughs> that, that we will be yeah, wholly creative again in our lives, right? Absolutely. And and that is, you know, that is a big part of uh, my whole mission with this show and with the other show that Eric and I do, you know, just with all of the things that have gone on in the world over the past several years, I'm like, oh, you're not taking me down. No, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I am I am going to put good out into the world and hope that it uh, gets carried on like uh Sort of like taking a uh, a feather pillow and ripping it open and just letting the wind take it. And, uh, yeah. you know, you can't ever collect all of that back. And if you put out good, then you don't want to collect it back. You want it to go. No, I agree with you. I think that's, in the end, that's the best we can do on the planet anyway, if we want to move it forward, is just put that out there and, you know, be a good person um, and project that with our our art and hope that that spirit touches somebody along the way and then they carry it on and of course you and i would like to see it uh multiply as well so we don't have to go through another period like this on the planet exactly exactly now uh you are still as you said you're writing articles you still perform if people are interested in learning more about you the work that you do uh and the different performances that you have, where can people learn more? Uh, they can go to my website, which is www.buckyhalker, H-A-L-K-E-R, buckyhalker.com. There on there, there's an events calendar. Uh, they can email me at buckyhawker at buckyhawker.com. That works. I'm glad to respond to people and let them know. I've got a few things coming up. In fact, uh, next month, I'm heading down to Okima, where Woody Guthrie was born in Oklahoma. They're having their 25th annual Woody Guthrie Festival there, and I'm glad I'm going to be part of that this year. In fact, I'm doing a special program on Joe Hill, who was a labor songwriter uh, executed in 1915, um, um, and the subject of a famous Joan Baez song. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm going down there, uh, and I'm doing a program not on Woody, but on Joe Hill, who's kind of a predecessor to Woody. So I'm looking forward to that. And then I've got uh, in beautiful Mount Vernon, Illinois. I do a program the week after that, towards the end of the month. That's coal mining songs that have come out of coal, from coal miners who have a long history of writing songs and poetry in the western world so i'm doing a program on that with some illinois songs thrown in so so interesting so interesting okay uh thank you i of course we're out of time i could chat with you you and i uh had an opportunity to chat uh a while ago uh when i asked you to come on the show and you and i could go on and on and on but unfortunately on live radio we cannot 
So I will have to have you back so we can continue the conversation. Okay. Uh, remember, if you are interested in learning more about Bucky, go to buckyhelker.com. And thank you, of course, to Bucky. And thank you to Eric. Thanks to Dan for the intro. Uh, next week's guest is Aaron Deans, who is a voice actor. So stay connected, everyone.